Hi, Kyle. Hi, Jer. How are you today? Uh, you know, I was iffy, but I'm feeling better now, honestly. It's weird that this seems to always pick me up. <laughs> Hi, everyone. How are you all doing? Uh, I'm Jer. I'm a, uh, I'm a software engineer who's been drawing comics since he was seven. And I am Kyle. I am a full-time artist uh, who has a flair for the melancholy. And this is How to Draw Without Dying. It's a show where we're going to talk about how to draw and not die while doing so. Because, you know, working on art and, and enjoying art, especially indie art in the modern world, is a little tough. It is. Well, I can't say it is very tough. That doesn't sound as good as it is very hard. <laughs> it's really hard, guys. Art's hard. I do typically say it's hard. That's usually the words that I use. <laughs> Consistency's not so bad in doing a thing. I, I, I'm manufacturing a fit. I, I yeah, really don't mind. No, it's fine. It's fine. I realize I didn't social media this at all. Yeah. Uh, it's probably fine. That's probably it's fine. probably fine. It's probably fine. Hey everyone, hi Shiny Zubats, hi Abner Doodle, hi Squirrel Horde. Thanks for all thanks all for hanging out with us. Uh if you would like to hang out with us while we while we do this, you can go to either uh twitch.tv slash ironoki or twitch.tv slash knewbridge. Uh and you can join the conversation and be a part of the show and 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 hang out and chat and, and talk to us and ask questions and, and tell us how things are going with your with your art experience. Because we'd love to hear from you. And we have an email address. Yes, it's how to draw without dying, all one word, all spelled out. Uh, no caps at gmail.com. Yeah, feel free to re email us and let us know what you're working on, what you what you're struggling with, and we want to we want to know because we want to help. Uh what are we up to today, Kyle? So today's topic was suggested by Squirrel Horde, um, and that is, well, it's at least part of it was yeah. was suggested from Squirrel Horde, which was uh, what to do when practice plateaus. So like when. Like, practicing doesn't seem to be helping the art skill go up anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we can just uh, more broadly talk about practicing in general and, like, what yeah. it's like and how to. So the first thing I want to say about it is, some, is one of my catchphrases, something you'll hear me say here a lot, and something I, I talk uh, when I want to hang out with other artists on Twitch, uh, something I, I'll mention in, in those conversations. It's... There's a there's sort of a misnomer. People like to believe they're either good or bad at art. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'm not good at art. And I've always, always taken issue with that. And recently, like within the past year, like basically with networking on, on Twitch and, and hanging out with artists here, um, I've come up with the philosophy that art isn't something you're good or bad at. It's a toolbox that you keep adding tools to. So mm -hmm. if you can draw a smiley face... That's one tool. It's a simple tool, but there's a lot you can do with a smiley face. You give it one line and it's a happy face. You give it a different line and it's a sad face. You are now com you are now tr communicating emotion. Another tool would be drawing a stick figure. You attach like a few lines to that uh to that smiley face and now it looks kind of like a person, enough to make them move or pose or do something, like kicking a soccer ball. It's remarkable. It's always kicking a soccer ball. Every time I do like a drawing workshop and I tell people to draw stick figures doing something, I I can I can almost win bets on whether one person in in the workshop will draw kicking a soccer ball because it's just such a action. It's just such a default action. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're probably not bad at art. You probably just only have a few tools. And you can look at those tools and you know, do some stuff with it. Anyway, that's that's where I wanted to start. Yeah. There's also simply the um, art is a skill. And 
to a certain extent, like, I, th- I think we can briefly talk about, like, talent and what talent means is that mm. I don't necessarily think there's a level of, like, someone might be born with a little bit more dexterity or a little bit more strength or a little bit more, like, lung capacity. Yeah. There's, there's, your, there's your starting stats. I, I do think that the, like, weight we put on those starting stats is a bit overblown. Yes. It's, it's not as it's not as much as people think. It's just I think I do think people tend to guide themselves towards something they're naturally good at. Mm. Otherwise, something they really, really enjoy. And if you don't do like one or the other of those things, you're not going to practice a lot, especially when you're younger. Yeah. So and that's certainly something we can expand on as we as we talk uh, <laughs> loquaciously as we tend to. Mm-hmm. Um, What else? Because. Uh, I'm trying to hit like like top level topics right now, and then and then dig in deeper. I definitely have had phases in my art where I didn't grow much, uh, mm-hmm. and I think one of the certainly when I'm working on a long form comic, which I, you know I finished one, I'm working on another. Um, while I'm in the make art phase, it's tough to think about it, it, it improving it or or you know practicing it or you kind of you kind of get stuck in your ways. So at least I certainly have. And so deliberately practicing in ways that improve your art is a conscious effort. It's not a thing that happens automatically. Uh, it is funny you mention that because I kind of feel the opposite. Oh, I'm always really? looking to uh, I'm always looking to pull double duty. <laughs> so I, I rarely with with the exception of some like sketch pages, I don't draw just to get better. I I have a task in mind and I use that task as an excuse to get better at an, a, a certain thing. Have you ever plateaued? Like, have you ever, you ever just had a phase in your art where you just like, you were just kind of stuck there for a while? Sort of. Um, I'd say chapter two of, of this light was kind of one of those. Mm. And I have a bit of a um, unique case here with chapter four where I'm sort of intentionally plateauing on some of my character work with mm. some some exceptions of like I have finally got it looking how it looks in my head in some cases and so I'm trying to keep it there. Right. But as far as like practice is concerned, uh you know, like with with certain things like backgrounds, I don't know how to get any more better than I currently am and it's not because I've I feel like I've reached some great height. It's uh that the mm. amount of work that it would take to make them closer to what's in my head would require a lot of like meticulous change in how I approach it that I don't think I, I know where to start on or, or how to like, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yes, it does. And that's why I think that gives us a good uh, set of starting points here. So let's start with where you, what you just said. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're talking about, when you have a skill that you know you could be good at, but you don't really know where to start in building it or practicing it. Mm-hmm. So well, let's, let's start with you. Like uh, backgrounds, that's actually something I struggle with as well. Um, you, w- would you say that right now you're at a background plateau? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you wish you could do with backgrounds if, if you weren't at a plateau? Where do you want to be? And if you 
did have the capacity to get there, how would you how would you get out of where you're at? Uh, so I wish I could make particularly the buildings and cities and stuff and my backgrounds look a bit more full of detail and more realistic to that degree. Right. Um, I admit I'm sort of uh, in what I think is pretty common for a lot of artists who like like manga as their comic of choice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a bit tricked um, by the fact that most professional mangaka have assistants that are specifically for the backgrounds and have uh, especially in a lot of um, cases, there are some sort of pre-made backgrounds and establishing shots that they tend to use for cities, schools. Uh, one could say that's actually why there's so many of those in in manga, is because they have sort of a ready-made mm -hmm. library of ways to draw it. You know what at, that at least. You know what that reminds me of is is the visual language of comics by Neil Cohn. Uh, mm -hmm. that's what he means by the title of his book is like, that's a visual language. There is a way to draw a building. There's a way to draw a school. There's a way to draw a person. And, and so that language, uh, especially in Eastern comics and manga, like that's very well established and, and understood as the visual language. This is the way you draw these things. Uh, Shiny says, I am a huge proponent of taking a good class when you hit a plateau, but it's not a perfect solution because it takes cash and time. Uh, and also says, urban sketching workshop. Um, so, weirdly, I don't think that would help me. Mm. And I think, like, it requires a bit of, like, an explanation of what I mean by, like, when I plateau. Because, like, I can look at a drawing I want to replicate and I can see how it is different than what I am drawing. But when I think about where to get started on my own compositions, I just, to a certain extent, have a bit of decision paralysis. Mm. Like, uh, it, it's certainly a, a version of that. So, like, I look at a drawing of a city and Chainsaw Man that's <laughs> thrown something out there, and I see all the lines that the buildings have, and I'm like, oh, yes, those lines belong on buildings. But then I look at the background I have here, and admittedly, it's like a fuzzy background because the action is the important point in fact like i might be having more um speed lines and stuff to really obscure this kind of shitty fuzzy background but like i, I know what lines should be added but i can't do it <laughs> and i don't know where to start doing it to make it not look bad because like what i definitely want to avoid is that middle ground between i've started getting better but i don't really know what i'm doing yet like it, <laughs> the the middle point of practice is is worse than either end of practice for where I'm particularly at in this problem. <laughs> so I'm a pretty good artist. And as far as like because like last week we were talking about separating, you know, practice and and idea dump and brainstorming and getting stuff down on your page, separating that from making a finished piece and never try and do both at once. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you try and make your practice perfect, you die. <laughs> mm -hmm. You lose your mind trying to get every detail exactly right. And it not being exactly the way that it is in your brain, you get, you get locked into it. And I've, I've talked a few times about how you, uh, I go through a process called killing a sketchbook page. 
where I'll draw the thing over and over and over again until until it I've done enough of it that I kind of internalize, okay, so here's the here's the good and here's the bad and here's the way that I do it. Now, here's one of my faults as an artist is that my goal is to make comic books and to get comic book pages done and to and to finish them and to do thing. There's a lot of the time where I'll make a page and there's like like you were just saying there's the thing that you aren't quite good at yet but you're kind of okay at and it's in that sort of like getting good at it still phase Mm -hmm. i'll put that into my finished work because i don't i don't have time and i think my finished work would look a lot better if i actually finished practicing those things Mm -hmm. but i like my finished work and i like finishing stuff and i have more fun finishing a page than i do practicing so i'll practice enough and then just just run with it. There are pros and cons to this approach. One of the pros is I'm I've got a book. <laughs> I finished mm-hmm. a book. I've got another one that's finished that I'm going to print soon. Um, I'm I'm making another book. It's like I've got work done because I'm able to let go. Mm-hmm. The downside is my ideas in my brain look like lackadaisy cats. But my art doesn't look like lackadaisy cats. I would mm-hmm. love to be that good, especially with my speed at releasing pages. Mm-hmm. But I ain't that, uh, which is why it's very important not to compare yourself to your heroes. Let's see, catching up on chat again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also found collecting images that I find successful or aspirational and physically printing out a sort of mood board to help me quite a bit, making oh, yes. progress on specific articles. Currently doing that now, actually. Uh, well, similar. I'm working off of it. Similar. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. Classes really helped with me uh, in college. Trouble is you have to find a good teacher. A good teacher helps you find the skills you need to make the artwork, uh, that make that work in your brain. I've known quite a few people that write off classes as a good place to learn because of having a bad art teacher or bad experience in academic yeah. setting. That could happen. Um, I definitely want to focus tonight on what to do on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, art school and classes and and community opportunities are awesome if you can get to them. There's a lot of reasons you can't, not least of which being COVID. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot going on in the world. You might ha- not have money. You might not have time. You might not have time or money. Um, and so I don't like. Yes, going to a class is a way to solve this problem. Boy, it is a great way to solve this problem. And if you can't do it, g- great. Let's see if we can find some other stuff for people, though. Uh, actually, uh, Zubat said a few things over on my side, too. Uh, currently at a skill dip, thanks to life stuff. Lots, lost so much skill since being forced to work on things daily in college, but still know quite a bit more than I did even then, making the progress back as much quicker than th- this time around. Yeah, so you'll find... I, I say this as as uh, a middle-aged fellow who's uh, who's picked up and dropped hobbies and and creative stuff and art multiple times in life. That stuff is still in your brain. It didn't just go away. And when you get back into it, you'll find your way back to where you were. Sometimes you'll be a little rusty, but um, my mother is a neuroscientist and (laughs) has explained a few things to me. Um, One of them is that it's not the skill itself that goes away. It's your active connection to it neurons like in order to kind of like streamline whatever it is you do every day uh your brain will 
will sort of like shed stuff that it's not using and 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 disconnect things that are would otherwise cause noise. So the difficult part, now you can reconnect it, and that's the difficult part. So getting back to that place that you were at is entirely a thing the brain can do. And the hard part isn't doing it, it's reconnecting to it. Mm-hmm. So like I find that that helps me when I'm reconnecting with an old skill to think of it in in terms of what's actually happening in the brain is like nope nope still there the knowledge is still there the practice is still there it never just went away just gotta plug it back in and that takes a little bit of time and work and so some practice and and it is just like riding a bicycle as they say as the as the <laughs> as the ancient meme goes mm-hmm. it does come back. Let's say like hairstyles. Uh, that's a thing I actually have a lot of fun with. It doesn't. I don't struggle with it too much. But then when I think of diversifying them, I realize mm, I do tend to draw like when I'm just doodling faces. I do tend to draw the same five or six. Let me see what else is out there. Um, looking looking at diverse humans <laughs> that helps a lot. Oh, I am drawing uh, hairstyles from one particular ethnicity. Let me branch out a little bit. Ah, yes, shape. <laughs> it's delightful. Uh, I used to have a bit of a trouble telling people apart, like IRL. Mm. Um, it was sort of like, unless I knew someone, I, I didn't really have a lot of facial recognition. I would literally see, like, sort of just gray silhouettes of people. Huh. And I do think that actually uh, affected my character design uh, in a negative way a little bit, um, especially in, like, early OTL when I was still kind of struggling with that. I'm not exactly sure what my point was with that, aside from that was an interesting thing I dealt with for a time. It does remind me of a uh, an old friend of mine who was on the autism uh, spectrum who had a real hard time with uh, emotion blindness. And mm-hmm. uh, this friend would was actually a fabulous cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible top-tier cartoonist because uh, they could only really see emotions or facial emotions when they were heavily exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And that gave them a particular gift. Like, because they were so, like, emotion blind... Like, they really had to push it in their artwork to see it themselves. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. I um, I kind of wish that had been what had happened with me. But no, I just sort of figured out a way to <laughs> get over my issue. Yeah. But it required a lot of therapy and a lot of active thinking about yeah. it to train my psychology out of that. So I don't know if that's really on the table for most it's, people. It's something. I mean, that is a real condition that some people have. And I imagine, like, all, mm-hmm. all conditions, there are varying degrees of it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about let's talk about working on a project and what how that affects our ability to practice. So, I think it's a double edged sword. You and I have both worked on long form art projects, uh, and not not everyone really that that's not really a universal experience. Not a lot of people have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that while I'm gunning towards finishing a graphic novel. On the one hand, having to crank out pages, having to make the next page and the next page and the next page pushes me to draw at a really regular cadence. Uh, I am always drawing if I want to finish a comic book. Mm -hmm. 
And so simply by drawing, I am practicing and I am improving. Mm-hmm. However, in the effort to actually finish a project, I'm typically drawing similar things. Now, that's that isn't to say I'm not getting better at those things, but in the in the tools in the toolbox analogy, which which I want to delve into next, I'm using the same tools over and over again, and I'm getting better at those tools. But mm-hmm. I tend to just when I'm going to functionally get a page done, I'm opening my toolbox and using what's already there. Uh, and mm-hmm. and really only in the case where I want something special for this page or this panel do I say, oh shit, I need another tool. And then I will actually leave the project and go find and practice a new tool. Mm-hmm. So what's it like for you? Because you actually said that Practi- like working on a long farm project is is good for your practice. Yeah, I I definitely um, take the approach of so like when something comes up in my comic that I don't know how to draw that I need another tool for, um, I tend to iterate within the project itself until I get it to a point that I'm happy with, and I think that's sort of my problem with the landscapes is I can tell that that's a bridge too far mm. for that. Um, like I, I, I won't be able to do it simply while working on the project. I, I need to, I would need to actually practice. <laughs> um, and so like right now I'm, I'm messing with some motion blur and I'm trying to learn some of that and not all of it's probably going to stick around, but, uh, I, I, I'm using the comic itself as an opportunity to learn. Uh, K Penguin, uh, says that, uh, she's the same way. Um, hey, K Penguin. So like. A good example is uh, how I do covers is that when I when I do a new comic cover, mm. I am <laughs> trying to make a new best thing I've ever drawn. And I'm trying to pull <gasps> off pull off all of the stops that I have yeah. learned. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. My sort of proposed uh, chapter four cover or my my pre chapter four cover, because I always do one at the beginning and one at the end of a chapter, uh, really messed with foreshortening in a way, because that's what I that was the newest skill I had been super grinding in work uh, was was how to get that foreshortening. Right. Yep. Yeah. Covers are. Oh, covers are special. Yeah. Kimmy says the intentional practice thing. Ah. Do you mean within your comic? Like, I, I guess I might need some more context on what you meant by same and, and unless I'm understanding incorrectly. Oh, like having to take breaks to practice a skill. Okay, so Kimmy's more like you rather than me. Sorry. Which is itself a point because it's like you, eh, what it takes to get you practicing and actually being productive in practice is going to be different for everyone. I'm sorry. There yeah. is no one solution. That is definitely true. Let's talk about tools in your toolbox. Okay. Uh, you and I have both had to build up our ability to make backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I think like I have gotten pretty good at it with wild azaleas and I very much like ignored it a lot in the indies. Um, and yet like, uh, overjoyed. I really kind of pushed myself. Backgrounds are a tool. Uh, the tools that I'm inherently good at, or uh, never mind good or bad, like the, the tools that I inherently enjoy using are faces, uh, bodies, character 
character silhouettes, uh, character actions. I really like drawing people and drawing people emoting. Uh, that's what I have the most fun with. If I grab my sketchbook just to doodle with no goal in mind, I'm just going to start drawing some people. I might just mm -hmm. invent people out of my head. I might look around me and see some people in my environment and, and capture them as little cartoon characters. Uh, I love mixing and matching. So I'll make one person based on three people I see. Mm -hmm. um, I love pushing my silhouettes. I love, like I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, drawing hairstyles. Hairstyles are such a cool way to add a, like add to a character's silhouette. Um, that's my main tools, my bread and butter, as it were. So I like making comics. Those people need to be in places. Those people need to be using things. Those people need to be doing things. Um, I'm pretty okay at drawing characters doing things. Uh, I've got some pretty decent skills at anatomy. I'm not a master, but I can generally keep people in mostly decent proportions and I can push them into more dynamic poses a little bit. That's something I really want to push. That's a tool that I have in my toolbox, but I need to use more. I need to build that tool up more. I need to have my characters being more action oriented, more dynamic as you are currently working on in your, in your comic page mm -hmm. with, with motion blurs and action and, and speed lines. Uh, that's also something I'm trying to push. So what, uh, what are the tools that you're strongest with and still need to build? Um, I am currently definitely strongest with telling emotion with faces is, is being, being very specific with, with what I think there, but, um, I, I'm really proud of my ability to hit really nuanced faces and, and emotions. Um, and, and sort of character acting through, um, through my characters. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely think my weakest is, is my landscapes and, um, uh, landscapes. Animals are a big one though. I've gotten a little bit better at that. Yeah. That, that sort of thing. I don't know if that. It, no, it does. Animals are a fascinating one because, um, I, I certainly have no hate for furry art. I think, like, furry art in general, like, I have a lot of friends that are, are furry artists or furry art aficionados, and um, I find nothing wrong with it. Uh, if anything gets gross and sexual, that's the gross and sexual side of it. Whatever. Go do your thing over there. Um, and, and, you know, judge, judge the medium and, and the sexualization of it as two separate things. But uh, I say this to, like, to point out that a lot of where that comes from, a lot of the first animal cartoon characters or just because it's easier to draw an animal character than it is a person character because as soon as you draw a person character, you're judging it as a person. But if you're drawing a, a cat character, it's like, oh, that's a cat. And you, you, you think about it less. Uh, it was much easier to make cartoon characters out of animals than it was out of people. And then, like, uh, let's, let's take Looney Tunes, for example. You got a rabbit, a duck, and then you got a couple of people that aren't people-shaped at all. They are preposterous caricatures of people. Mm -hmm. uh, these were all things that made it easier to get, get the job done, to, to, do, to have the fun you wanted to have. So the fact that um, 
that furry art has evolved into the multifaceted thing that it is in today's culture makes complete sense to me because drawing people is itself a tool that some people are good at and some people are bad at. And if, if you don't have fun drawing people, then it completely makes sense that like, well, I can draw an animal. I can draw an animal that's kind of person shaped. Oh, Hey, there's a whole thing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's just a different tool to use. So yeah, I'm, I'm very against furry shaming because everything's got a gross side to it. So don't worry. Mm-hmm. don't yeah don't don't that's not a that's not a unique thing to the furry world one thing we haven't talked about is what do we do when when practice just isn't helping anymore which um yeah i may not have a a solution for my landscape problem right now but i've definitely um taken the approach of if if what I'm doing isn't getting it what I look like. And, and if the current reference material I'm looking at doesn't seem to be doing the job, I just find different reference material material that does a different approach to the same problem. One, one comic I used to use for action um, reference a lot was Attack on Titan, but I don't really think it was helping me uh, so much. So that's why I switched to Chainsaw Man in this case. Uh, it's not necessarily that I think Chainsaw Man does action better than Attack on Titan. It's just I, I feel like the approach is closer to what um, is going to work with the rest of my art style. Right. Do you have any tips for that sort of thing? I'm thinking because uh, there are definitely tools in my toolbox that I've stagnated on. Um, mm-hmm. One in particular is perspective. Mm-hmm. I really kind of half-ass perspective in my comic page, pages and panels. And it's I've really kind of gotten stuck there. And here's the thing. Perspective isn't that hard. You you draw some lines and you and you, uh, you draw them to a point. It's it's actually functionally very easy to do, but every time I'm in you know getting a page done and I'm working on a, on on some backgrounds or some scenery Unless I'm like really going ham on it, I'll say, "Oh, it's good enough," and just kind of roughly get the line, the perspective lines in a general uh, direction. And then another place where it really stings me is um, and uh, <laughs> that one JoJo page you showed me, where uh, was it Polnareff and and Dio on the stairs? Oh, Dio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that made the fact that, the fact that that happened in JoJo makes me feel a lot better about some of the times that my characters made no sense, mm-hmm. being the size they were at the positions they were in the in the environment. Mm-hmm. Now, being a comic book artist helps a lot because we could get away with so much murder. Mm-hmm. Because, like, people are reading the comic, like, after the first couple of pages, people are just in it, and they're just reading it. And so they, um, they, just, they just pass through, uh, like, uh, pass through page after page. So, you know, a little hiccup here or there, a little proportion issue, a little perspective issue here is pretty easy to, to skip over if, um, once people are reading a comic. So you, you could get away with it. Mm-hmm. But... It's definitely something I've plateaued on. And it's it's something 
that I need to sit down and focus on. I need to think about it as a tool and really apply it because if I got better at that tool, my page, my panels would look really good. Like, like there's nothing, I feel like there's nothing wrong with my panels right now, but if I, but if I just put some work into that one tool, something would really click and I'd like it. Yeah. Perspective. I mean, pers let's, let's be real. While it is like, quote, easy, it's also a bitch. It's mm -hmm. the closest thing in drawing to just legit science. Like, honestly, I'm pretty sure like a big chunk of uh, artists in the Renaissance were just like, okay, we need to figure out how fucking perspective works and just like really hammered home the, the, uh, the field of geometry that leads to how point perspective plays, plays with art. <laughs> there was an early Renaissance artist uh, I, for the love of me, I wish I remembered this person's name. It was taught to me in art school. This dude almost got it simply by observation. Oh, I remember. I remember this person. Yeah, uh, it's so close. It's, it's you can so tell it's a little close. Off. Like I was watching a video about him, and like, uh, he he was doing you know that medieval era where it's just like there's rows of people, and then there's rows of people by that behind them, and they're just like the almost like Egyptian high, you know, analogous to Egyptian yeah. hieroglyphs, where it's just like the people are all the same size and they're all in rows. It's kind of like that, uh, like the 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 monks drawing the illuminated manuscripts, like you know some of the weird shit that we've seen in that. Like it's a meme. Those guys had a great sense of humor. Don't get me wrong. But, like, mm. you know, um, they knew how to draw a person, but they didn't know how to draw perspective. And because, fuck it, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And there was one guy who was so good at it that he almost got it. And I'm watching this video where they're like, okay, so here's the building he drew. And it looks kind of flat, but kind of okay. And they drew the lines, and they're just like, they're not leading towards a point, but they're kind of all kind of aligning towards... The, he was getting there. Mm -hmm. He was getting there at a sheer observation. And uh, kudos to that guy, whose name I wish to fucking God I could remember. Uh, I don't mm. even know how to look it up at such a point. It's such a problem. Yeah, and then they got it, and then it became math. Fuck. Today is October 6, 2022. It's the first comic shop of October. And I found some cool diverse comics because diversity is where you go on. That's where you go for the crowdfunded comics for the diversity. I know what I'm doing. I'm I am a professional. So I was talking about how October was coming and we we're gonna have like a bunch of spooky comics. We have there are I there are too many. There are too many, Kyle. There are too many? Uh, there are too many spooky comics. So uh I have like in addition to my normal four, uh I'm not I'm I I found four cool ones tonight. I want to talk about these four. There are well, a couple of them. There's a little there's a there's a hint of spook here or there, but there are so many cool Halloweeny, uh, spooky comics that I think next week I'm going to do. I'm going to do my regular four, and then I'm going to do a speed run of a bunch of Halloween ones. So I don't. I do. I didn't have time to get that set up this week. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the four, but next week we're gonna do a. I'm. I think I'm gonna do a Halloween speed run. Sound good? Sounds good. For this week, I want to start with the Veil Walker by uh, Stefan Vellis and crew. Uh, this is the second issue of it. Uh, they've they've already they've already put one issue out of here. This is some cool world building, some cool sci-fi. They describe it as uh, Harry Potter meets Spawn. Mm -hmm. That's a good mix-up. Wow, this art definitely uh, uh, American professional style. 
full color, big action, lots of lots of monsters and zombies. So no, we're getting our spoop in here. That is a big spider with lots of eyes and gross teeth. I love it. What is the Veilwalker about? The Veilwalker takes place in a world where a small percentage of the population is born with the gift, allowing those born with it to use their mana to cast all kinds of spells. Thus, the Veil Guard was established to protect the gifted from the modern world and from creatures who would devour them. Uh, creatures called the Veil Spawn. I bet you that's what those gross things are. That's my bet. <laughs> For centuries, the Order has been balancing the study of the Veil while maintaining its secrecy and that of the gifted population. The Veil is weakening, and its cause is a mystery. And then I'm just going to talk about what's happening in, in issue two. That's the setup for this world. And like anything, any good Kickstarter with, um, with multiple ones, it looks like you can get one and two just to, to jump in from nothing. You know what? I'm, I'm sensing a bit of Doctor Strange in here as well. Mm -hmm. Love it. Very pretty. Very, like, very brightly colored for a dark comic. Let's see. The campaign just started. We're at 400 of 2,500 U.S., uh, with 29 days to go, 29 days to go, and 11 backers, so decent start. I would love to see that get higher in the in the in like the first day or two. We want we we want that. What was it like? We want half in like the first three or four days. And that's always nice. It's always nice, and so that's where like just getting the word out, sharing it, like telling people, hey, hey, you you like this kind of thing? Check it out. This is this is cool. I'm really fascinated by the world building here. Because this is like it's a really interesting, consistent world, and I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. So that's cool. that's definitely worth checking out. Next up, I have "If Only We Could" by Mel's Place and Cookie. This is this is the story of two boys in love. I could tell. Uh, let's see. Video games enable you to break free from reality and enter a world full of limitless possibilities. After being bullied, June moved to Busan for a new start. His first stop was the arcade, where he immediately claimed the top score of every game but a game called Strike. However, the reigning tramp, Sokka, was, in it, was an unbeatable opponent, a local favorite, and he made June extremely nervous and shy around him. However, when June gets the courage to play a match with Sokka, they begin their never-ending story. So, um, this is a webtoon. And we've talked about how Webtoon is pretty much the place for romance. And, and yeah, this seems like the place to, to the, this seems like just, yeah, good story of two boys in love. Uh, our protagonists are June, a transgendered boy who was bullied in his hometown after he came out to his community, and Sokka, who comes from a wealthy yet, uh, comes from wealthy yet strict parents with an extremely high expectations. Really just started really only got a little bit of uh just a couple of eyes on it so far only three backers but we're only looking for 3k which is again completely completely reachable for a small project i may be a straight boy but i love video arcades i grew up in video arcades i'm i'm an, i'm a middle-aged fellow now and so like video arcades in the 90s and the aughts are just kind of like my formative experience and like the social connections and and the camaraderie that comes from that place is is really familiar to me so like uh, a love story of any kind starting in a video arcade kind of hits me and i just mm. i just find it adorable it this seems really mm -hmm. really cute i love it so let's get let's get the word out about that one please next one uh i think kyle i think you're gonna like this one <laughs> uh this is called Twilight Custard. It is a it is a sci-fi western. Uh -huh. 
Uh, the tagline for the check out the tagline for this before Roswell, there was Eagle Pass. So the cover is uh, pretty like solid color shapes. There's a couple a dude and a robot on a horse with a sun with some with some schematic diagrams on it and and Mesa plateaus in the background. But once we get into the actual inside, uh, grayscale looks like gray markers or possibly watercolor. I think it's markers or maybe wash. I can't really tell. But uh, we've got just just really classic, uh, pretty realistic looking characters. We got a, a cowboy on his horse and his robot buddy on his back. It's kind of like Chewbacca with C-3PO, uh, this pair. And they are having an adventure on their horse through the, through the wilderness. Let me read about it really quick. Seldom in history has a piece of land been more volatile than that of the Texas-Mexico border in the early 1800s. So when a downed spacecraft rains debris across both sides, the respective armies will do whatever it takes to recover the pieces and find a way to use them against their enemies. It's up to Twilight Custard, a widowed surveyor, to help the android pilot back to its ship and undo events that would forever change the course of human history, all for the promise of being reunited with his wife. That last line gets me. He's, he's a widow. And somehow this adventure means he gets to see his wife again. Does that mean because the robot can bring her back to life or because he's going to die? I'm not sure. Um, this is a cool idea. Uh, black and white with just a bit of color. Grayscale with just a bit of color. Uh, kind of doing that, that, that classic uh, Frank Miller thing. Uh, the only color is the robot's eyes in certain moments. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating Ooh, i think it made its goal while between me planning and now so it was looking for uh uh almost uh 1500 us and it's at 1600 us with 21 backers so excellent already made its goal you can get a copy of this if you if you back it check this out last up is is another case of uh boy am i a sucker for a great title Boy, can like a, a good title just fucking get me. And this is this is a really, really excellent title. Uh, everything is great about it, but the title really got me. This is called All the Songs I Want to Forget by Alba Glez. I do my best with your names. If I mispronounce them, uh, please let me know and I will, I will correct myself next week. Is this also a webtoon? This looks like it might be a webtoon. I'm not sure. So... An ancient king has taken his life. A young couple adopts an abandoned kid in a kiosk. Twelve years later, uh, the weirdest thing about Fernando Posada will not be his amazing musical talent at a short age, but the true nature hidden beneath his joyful appearance. In this land, he's trying to become a rock star, along with his friends Ivan and Monica. But in a faraway land, he acts as a mysterious king, the Golden Dragon. There's some cool stuff going on here. <laughs> this is some cool stuff. I love this guy's design. Look at this dude. We only got a little bit of art to look at, but this is ah, this is this is so good. Uh, really brightly colored dude. He's kind of got a turban and and a and an open vest. He's just jamming with a guitar and, and a glass of wine. He really looks like he's just caught between two worlds. It's great. <laughs> uh, one picture, we've got this weird, like, cracked dull face, 
and an ancient god that's withered and some clearly mythological things happening. And in this other image, dude's just on the guitar and jamming with his friends, playing some music. I uh, love it. It's like the colors are just kind of like pastel wash, like really just a little bit of color on top of of uh, of ink ink textures, and it really just kind of like a little bit of turquoise, a little bit of violet, and and just enough to give it a mood. Honestly, this is cool. Um, this is also a project from Mexico, and uh, as we've seen with our with our friend Danny, uh, that can be tricky. So. Uh, we've got 1,500 so far uh, U.S. Uh, we're looking for uh, 5,300 U.S. Uh, translated from Mexican. So, again, com- like completely reasonable for a comic that is like this well-established, and I would love to see this make its goal. Definitely needs attention and definitely needs people to understand, hey, don't, don't worry about the, the, the rewards being in Mexican dollars, which, are, which seem like a big, scary number, but they're not. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. That's the comic shop for this week. Hey, Kyle, where can people find links to all these? There will be links in the show notes as well as on your Twitter account. Which is at Ironoki. I'll be sending out links to these all next week. There's so many cool things that I know how to do, but just don't have time to do. Mm-hmm. Stupid time. Stupid dumb. There's definitely not enough time for everything. <sighs> There's a lot of thing. There's a lot of thing. You know, like, I don't really care about television shows too much, but if I did, I might be horrified because there's so many of them and so much of each one. That's one of the reasons why I fell out with anime, not because I didn't like it, it's because there's just so much of it. How many, like, it's been like a year and a half. It's been two years. No. Shit. Wait. No. Okay. I'm talking about JoJo and how long it's taken me to watch JoJo. Because mm-hmm. I... Got into JoJo when I was dating that one person. Mm-hmm. And that person was a huge JoJo fan. And and you're a huge JoJo fan. And Super Best Friends talks about JoJo all the time. So I was just like, oh, I got JoJo all around me. Let me give this a shot. And it was kind of a grueling experience to get into that. But I'm glad I did. And now I'm in the middle of part three. There's so much of that one show. There is so much of it. And apparently I'm not even at the good part yet. And I'm enjoying it. (laughs) I really appreciate two things. Uh, For Mm -hmm. as dumb as that show is. I love the way that the characters solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Like consistently. Whenever there's a problem in JoJo, to at least to the point that I've reached, they solve it in a brilliant way. And Iraqi? Is that the guy? Yes. Yep. Iraqi is very good at making a problem seem insurmountable. And then the characters are like, oh, but here's how I got out of it. And you're like, that's brilliant and not bullshit. That is mm-hmm. following the rules of your world. As you've established, the, I the can't bullshitness is actually like one of the things I find most fascinating about the JoJo writing, because I've definitely seen a lot of super smart character, you know, figures out a problem only he can solve. But the answer is always like bullshit. And there's the, the information is not there that anyone of actual like caliber could have figured it out. And, and JoJo, it truly feels like earned. Have I ever told you the word pull shit? 
with a with a P. P U L L S H I T. Um I mean I can imagine what it means, but I'm not sure it uh So I'm not sure you've mentioned it specifically. Um I have been a mod on the Reddit board who would win for many years. And uh boy have I learned a lot about categorizing superpowers and 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 framing them in ways that we can have a discussion about like this character versus that character. Uh, one of the most beautiful ones to me is Toon Force. Uh, the the mm-hmm. ability to use cartoon logic against another person. Bugs Bunny being one of the best practitioners of it. Uh, Toon Force seems like god power. It seems like you can just do whatever. It's not. Toon Force has rules. You usually have to be funny. Bugs Bunny has to be funny in order to do his gag. His gag wouldn't work if it wasn't funny, if it wasn't a punchline. So one of the ways that you would beat Bugs Bunny in a fight is to suck the humor out of the situation, at which case mm-hmm. you'd be kind of powerless. <laughs> um, then apply this to, say, a character like One Punch Man, uh, who would win really struggled with, what the fuck do we do with One Punch Man? He can p- kill everyone with one punch. Yeah, but that's just the letter of the law. He, he can kill everyone, with, he can beat anyone with one punch, but what what is his extent? Has he ever punched, like, Galactus? Has he ever punched, like, mm-hmm. you know? And and so, like, uh, the, the word we use for that is upper limits. Uh, what is his upper limit feat? A feat is something he's done in canon. Um, and so we said, what is his upper limit feat? Oh, he's, he punched so hard that the sky split and he punched the moon away and all this, you know. And, and we were kind of like limited to, he's since like overthrown all that, but never mind that. The point of it is, I proposed the idea that we treat him like a Toon Force user, which is um, his, his power is based on the gag. Mm-hmm. He can beat you in a fight in one punch but he doesn't have enough money for cereal Mm -hmm. and has to save his coupons. He is actually an incredibly weak character outside of his one gag. Mm -hmm. And so the way you defeat him is not to get into a fight with him because he'll beat you in one punch because that's his joke. Mm -hmm. But if, if you, if you make him late for the sale and your coupon is expired, he might starve to death because he doesn't have enough money for food. (laughs) So I, I went on a little aside there, but uh, let's get back to pull shit. Pull shit is one of those words that we use on who would win. Uh, rarely, because there's only a few characters that are really good at it. Uh, 1960s TV Batman is excellent, is an mm-hmm. excellent high-powered pull shit user. So is the Doctor from Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Pull shit is the ability to solve a problem by pulling shit out of your ass. To just be like, oh, I had the solution on me all along. It's my thingamawatsit. I didn't have to establish it in canon every war anyway. It's not a Chekhov's gun that was, you know, mentioned in 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 scene one and then and then you know fired in scene three. It is just a, a thing that I had all along, never mentioned, never established, nothing like that whatsoever. I just have it, and now I've solved the problem. Yep, the sonic su- screwdriver is just a pull shit distribution device. Mm-hmm. Got it. No problem. Sonic screwdriver does everything. It does everything. JoJo doesn't use pull shit, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So on the other note of anime, yeah, yeah, I saw a really good one that kind of surprised me. I am excited uh, to hear you talk about this one because it's it fascinates me. Does it have vampires in it? It has vampires in it. 
Uh, so I watched a show called Call of the Night, uh, which uh, you could label it as a rom-com. I, uh, there's some funny bits, but it's it's mainly just rom, not... Uh, <laughs> just rom, not com. Got it. Yeah, there, 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 there's, there, there's some com in the rom, but it's, yeah. Um, basic concept is uh, human boy meets vampire girl. What more do you need to say? <laughs> a lot. Let's, hey, break this down. Uh, yeah, no. Um, Did they fall in love all at once? I was, I was, I was uh, trying to pull a reference to Skater Boy, but oh. I don't actually know the lyrics of that song Damn. really well. So I do, it, it, and I failed you, friend. I failed you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, let's go. Let's uh, moving on. Moving on. Uh, so, yeah. Um, boy sneaks out uh, of, of his house in the middle of the night because he's tired of school and tired of, of daily life and, and kind of just hates it all yes. and uh, immediately runs into a vampire girl who tricks him and sucks his blood um, and his first thought is, oh no, am I going to be a vampire? And his second thought is, awesome! I can't wait to be a vampire! Only for him to figure out that uh it's not quite that simple because in order to be turned into a vampire, you need to be in love with the vampire that sucks your blood. See, I, I love that because um, I played a bunch of the the White Wolf uh, vampire game, which is why uh, my cat's name is not Zilla. In fact, Zilla is her short name. Her name is Gangrel Methuselah. Ah, I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, and and I re- actually you and I were 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 talking a little bit about this the other day and and uh, you knew something I didn't about the way that you embrace a vampire uh, in um, embraces the word for it in, in White Wolf uh, in in Dracula is is Dra- that was uh, that was code again oh actually, code again knew that it. okay my bad um, is that you drain all of their blood and then have them drink your blood while they're dying so basically replace their blood with um with vampire blood. Yeah, that's exactly how White Wolf does it. That's the rules. Mm-hmm. And I love what you told me about this anime where the girl like like responds to boys saying, "Can can I vampire?" Mm-hmm. Which was which was that like, "No. Um drinking your blood is like sex. Turning you into a vampire is like having a baby." Uh it was in the the in the anime, it's drinking your blood is a meal. Oh, uh, okay. Turning you into a vampire is like having a baby. Can you imagine if you made a baby every time you ate? It would suck. <laughs> there's a there's a couple of movies about that. They're fine. Don't worry about it. Like, anyways, um, uh, one thing leads to the other, and the guy just sort of decides, "Hey, uh, like, I I want to be a vampire. Uh, we can, can I I want to fall in love with you?" And she's like, "Well, okay, uh, that's um." Well, I guess fall in like your your blood's really tasty, so I guess fall in love if you want to, and they start dating. <laughs> um, now what I I I find really cool about this, I like oh. Kimmy's mistype there because <laughs> he was a link, she did ballet, which was an autocorrect from punk, but that's that's skater girl, but Zelda though. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Keep going. Stripped of metaphor, what this story is, is two people who meet each other and are kind of into each other but don't know each other too well decide to date. Yes, there's a lot of vampire set dressing and plot contrivances as to why they they need to need to date. But when it, what it comes down to is that sort of modern 
we just met is this it's not even really modern uh, like what i would like sort of stripped of pining just a a relationship from from zero to relationship and it goes through them like getting to know each other and just trying to have fun with each other and have a good time and try and make the feelings work from that i like that it's also really it stands out to me because Neither of them are like really or neither of them are perfect. They keep overstepping each other's bounds and keep making the other one uncomfortable. But these moments are like identified, acknowledged, communicated about, apologized for and learned from. And that sounds like the story of a very healthy relationship, the kind of which we can't seem to get from Hollywood because of the toxic people that are in Hollywood. Yeah, um, it, it stands out to me as something remarkable not just from anime but from media in general and that's why it surprised me so much Mm. um there's also like some of the interesting side stories being about like um the guy's human friends who don't really approve of his whole i'm dating a vampire thing but that's gone about in a healthy way too it's like okay this is your choice i respect that i'm still going to you know when we hang out i'll you know try and lead you to what I I perceive as a more healthy, like, lifestyle, but, like, they don't try and sabotage things, they don't throw ultimatums. Uh, Ah, delicious ultimatums. (laughs) That's, uh, that, that is also really cool. And at the end of the season, it also started, like, hinting at some of the, like, not trust issues that come from trauma, but trust issues that come from seeing aspects of relationships you're not ready for yet, I think is, is the way to put it. Um, like it, it starts leading into like, Oh yeah. Like, okay. There's some dangerous vampires out there. Uh, but it's handled as a, like, hmm? sorry, I'm, I'm trying to put my words Take together for this particular one. Uh, human characters run into a actual just rabid dangerous vampire and a vampire hunter that kills that vampire and the vampire hunter is very much like all vampires are like this uh you should stop Mm -hmm. associating with the vampires you know um and what that sort of strikes me as is like this sort of idea of like you know people who have been in enough bad relationships Mm. have this feeling of like oh you know relationships are bad you should stay away from them so there's actually another well there's kind of a another side to it that uh that that hits me in that like I'm a huge fan of queer romance uh mm-hmm. like, like gay romance lesbian romance by a trans like uh, in comics especially because it's you know my medium of choice and so that thing where like that that uh, I'll call it a trope where uh, person A does not approve of person B uh, dating person C who is very different mm-hmm. uh, plays it, it invokes moods of of queer romance challenges mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm not saying that that this one is is a case of that but it I like that being explored because that fascinates me. I do think um, what you've described is a particular flavor of a problem that I think is universal to all relationships. Mm -hmm. Like there's certainly like a, I mean, 
homophobia aside, I've like, especially when I was younger, there was a friend I knew who got into a relationship that was bad for him, and I was an asshole about it. And mm-hmm. I went about it the wrong way. Um, whereas the show shows friends going about it the right way. And it's not even, especially considering we don't know if this is actually bad for him, and I don't think it is. Um, you mentioned queer romance, though, and there's definitely a, a ace aspect to this, because neither the vampire nor the um, the boy really understand romantic relationships, and there's definitely some hinting of they might be on the ace spectrum somewhere. Um, and that's also cool to like see. That. It's something I've been seeing more in media, yeah. but not uh, not a it's, lot. It's popping up. I've definitely... It's, it's actually, like, I've seen... Uh, like, you know, doing the comic shop and, and, and really looking for diverse stories and looking for like these, these like atypical romances and queer romances, uh, in, in, in doing the comic shop project, like Mm -hmm. I'm looking for these things and it's not hard because there's tons. This is where you go if you want to tell that kind of story. So, uh, I see boy, boy relationships. I see girl, girl relationships. I see trans relationships. I've only seen ACE a couple of times, but I have seen Mm. it and it makes me really Mm. happy to get, to get that. Oh, there's a, there's an underserved one. Yeah. Get that in there. Um, honestly, I've only done one, um, one comic on the comic shop that was explicitly like, like sexual and, you know, uh, adult themed sexual pornographic the only one time that I include one and it was because it, it mentioned Ace Romance. I was like, I gotta, I gotta, it's, it's so underserved. I gotta rope it in. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it makes me so happy when I see that inclusion out there. Uh, we're getting off topic. <laughs> uh, just catching up on chat here. Uh, Kimmy says, I recently tried to read a webtoon that was recommended by friends and it was hard to get into because every character besides the main one existed purely to facilitate the rom-com plot. God! I suppose that is common problem in writing in general, but it somehow felt more obvious when it's like the girl's father, mm. best friend, cousin, and classmates are all somehow invested in the girl's love life. Yeah, um, I definitely think this one avoids that sort of problem. Like everyone's dealing with their own things, uh, and it's just when they happen to um, come into play, like uh, when it when it comes up, it's important. I do will say like. Uh, most of the other vampires we're introduced to are um, like gossipy mean girls and are just mm. desperate for news on vampire girls um, like uh, like romance with this guy. And it's actually a pretty decent like uh, sort of comedy gag because you sort of expect them to be dangerous because they're always talking about, you know, the rules of being a vampire. Like, oh, if you... Like, you can't just hang out with a human. You either turn them into a vampire or kill them because we can't have humans knowing about that. But really, they're kind of just a bunch of softies. <laughs> and you definitely understand why Nazana, the main vampire girl, absolutely hates talking to them. See, that's so fascinating because, like, what I expected you to say was the vampire story trope is that our protagon- our protagonist is um, is the good vampire and all the other vampires are, in fact, evil monsters. And so oh, no. the fact that they are, in fact, just people and and mm-hmm. and their fault is being gossipy is that's actually kind of nice. I like that. That's actually uh, le- leading into that, like, uh, 
dangerous vampire thing. Um, there's a pretty good conversation about it where he's talking with one of the other vampires about it. I was like, it, it very much leads into, uh, oh, like, we don't know why some vampires go berserk. Like, vampires don't know a whole lot about vampires either. Ah! Do humans know a whole lot about humans? That, I don't think so. I love <laughs> the neuroscientist joke that goes, the brain continues to fail to understand itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it very much got this whole, like, yeah, no, there's there's <laughs> there's bad vampires, there's bad humans, there's nothing particularly monstrous either way about it. And uh, yeah, no, that was cool. Anyways, I really like that anime. It I sounds really good. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Getting better at art means practicing, and practicing sometimes means you get stuck practicing and you're not getting any better. But there's stuff you can do. You can draw badly. You can draw badly on purpose and see which one, what, which things improve. You can get your, your resources. You can look at stuff that uh, that other people have drawn. You can look at references. You can um, focus on not being just good or bad at art, but focus on on the fact that each thing that you can draw is a tool. And sometimes you're just practicing one tool that you don't use as much. But you're probably pretty good at art, and you really should draw. You probably won't die. <laughs>